Right, it all works. I sent a text out to the team this morning. First thing this morning, got in the car, sat before I left the house, I sent a text. And on the text it said, there will be hassles, period. Look to see Jesus. You know, you got something a little out of the ordinary, there are going to be hassles. Things are going to happen. You got two ways to look at it. You can get all upset and all flustered and the world come to an end. Or you know what? Look to see Jesus. Something good's going to happen. So that's what we're doing, and that's where we're at, and that is what's going to happen this morning. I do want to say thank you to Bo for filling the pulpit for me last Sunday while I was away. I appreciate his desire to continue the sermon series that I was preaching. When I asked him if he would fill in for me since I was going to the conference, uh, you know, I told him he could preach anything he felt the Spirit leading him to preach, and he came and he said, can I just preach the next sermon in the series that you're that you're working on and I said well yeah we were working through the uh, plan of salvation we've been going down the Roman road this was the last sermon uh, last week was the last sermon in that series and it was on assurance you know are you certain you're saved do you know have you made it have you got it in place do you know what you're doing assurance and he asked me and I said yeah it'd be great and as he walked out I went thank you that is such a hard topic to deal with you are the man so I, I do want to thank Bo for that, and I, I appreciate his effort, and I appreciate his willingness to, to be a partner to continue the, the ministry of the Word to the church. I think that's cool. I think God did us really good by bringing Bo and Lacey and Parker here to the house. So let's talk about some stuff. Uh, I don't want to preach this morning. I woke up, didn't want to preach. What I want to do is sit down in a room and and just talk to everybody about, about the weekend and, and all last week and some stuff as we go along. But I, I didn't think that you'd want to stay here a couple of hours and do that probably wouldn't work for you at all. Consider most of you are sleepy because we all lost that hour last night. A week ago Friday, I drove up to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Now, conferences always happen in nice places. Uh, I had to suffer for Jesus in Pigeon Forge. It was tough, but I did it for you. Uh, so I went to Pigeon Forge, and I almost missed this. Haley, if you'd show slides one, two, and <clears throat> one, two, and three, I almost missed this. Stopped on the top of the mountain. Look at this place. Isn't that gorgeous? I mean, that was absolute. Look, isn't that? I mean, that's like you know, postcard material. I'm gonna get that copyright and sell it somewhere. It was gorgeous, and you're standing up on top of the mountain, almost, you're almost at Clingman's Dome, for those of you that have, that have been that way before. Almost didn't go that way. I got a phone call that morning from John Woodward, the guy that ran the, uh, that, that did the, the conference and, and did the workshop, and I uh, got a phone call that some of his folks, relatives, had driven that way, and that this mountain had had snow the night before, and the road was closed. And I was a little disappointed because I like, I'm an explorer kind of guy. I don't necessarily like to drive down the interstate because you don't see anything on the interstate except what's coming up at the next exit. You just don't get to see very much. But on the side roads, you get to see it. And I was looking forward to driving up 441 to see what I could see. But yeah, I'm also a planner. Got to be at a certain place at a certain time to do the right stuff. You know, I know the conference is supposed to start at 7.45. That was wrong. It started at 7. I was 30 minutes late. Uh, but it was their fault. They sent me the wrong thing. But that's neither here nor there. So anyway, I had to get there. I had to heat. I had to get checked into my room. I had, to, I had 
you know, I'm leaving 30 minutes late anyway, so I got to get it all done. And I get to the intersection of I-20 and 441 in Madison, and I get into the lane to, to make the left turn, and I have my blinker on, and I've got traffic behind me, and I couldn't turn left. I got to thinking, you know what, just go. Just go. If you get up there, the road's closed, go around the mountain. You'll be all right. If you're a little bit late, it'll be fine. Just go. So with oncoming traffic and my blinker blinking left, I turned right. <laughs> People from Georgia. And off I went. And I went on up through the mountains. Now, I tell you, God blessed me by doing that because I, got, I stopped up on the top of the mountain to take those pictures. They had, there were five and six foot icicles hanging off the side of the rocks on the mountains. It was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. All of the Yankees were there in t-shirts and short pants. I'm telling you, it was gorgeous. What a place. I'm going to tell you more than you want to know this morning, so just bear with me. We'll get, we'll get somewhere, I promise. I did sign up for that conference because of you guys. I really, really did. See, sometimes after I talk to you, I walk away feeling like you need something that I didn't give you. And it bothers me. Walk away thinking that, that they needed something more than what I could give them, and, and, and I, didn't, I didn't give it to them. And, and they're walking away still needing something. We all have lots and lots of struggles in our lives. Do you know when you lie the most during the week? Do you know when you lie the most? Sunday morning. You come into church, whether you come to Sunday school, which I hope you all do, or whether you come to worship service and you come in and somebody says with the traditional southern greeting, how you doing, Lisa? And Lisa goes, fine. When Lisa is no more fine than Kim Kardashian is wise, it is not a possibility. Yeah, thank you. I mean, we're right on this. You're not fine. Your world's coming unglued. You're about to fall all to pieces. How many people, how many of you have had this conversation at your house? Husband walks in, the wife looks and says, did you know that Bob and Bess are getting a divorce? No, you're kidding me. They look like the perfect couple. I know they did, but you know, Bob traveled all the time. And left Bess there at home with, with the kids and that big old house. And, 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 and she had the pool guy that came and cleaned the pool. And, and she said that the pool guy was her soulmate. So off they ran with the pool guy. Have you had that conversation? You're kidding me. That didn't look like anything was wrong at all. Been going to church. Life is a breeze. Everything's great. And all of a sudden, boom, they're apart. And you're going, how'd that happen? I didn't know. It happens. I am not advocating now. Don't misunderstand me. I am not advocating that when you come to church and I say, how, you, how are you, that you sit there for 30 minutes and vomit every problem that you've got up to me. I, I, you know, what I want you, to, I want you to say fine, but I want us all to understand what the definition of fine is. Fine means that this moment in time, I am not going to kill anybody, and nobody's going to kill me. And that's what fine means. Because I don't know what torment you're going through right this minute. And you don't know what torment I'm going through right this minute. But you know what? For this second, 
I ain't going to hurt you, and you're not going to hurt me. I'm fine. Life's okay. And that's pretty much what we mean. So when you come and talk to me, I know that in our hearts that we are dealing with junk, and some of our junk is really, really tragic, and some of our junk hurts really, really bad. And so sometimes you come to talk to me, or I bump into you somewhere, or I watch you grieve, and I think to myself, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. What are we missing here? What am I missing here? There's got to be something more. So I signed up for these two events. One of them is, is it's put on by Grace Fellowship International. One of them is their Exchange Life Conference. The second one is their Spiritual Therapy Workshop. Held in Pigeon Forge, 40 people were at the conference, not thousands of people. There was 40, one speaker. There was about 25 people at the workshop, and I found what I was looking for. So I got home last Sunday. This is going somewhere. Y'all just riding a horse with me. So I got home last Thursday night late, got up Friday, came down, did a few meetings, sat down to do the sermon, and absolutely stared at the computer, literally stared at the computer screen from 4.30 until 9 o'clock. I wrote about half a page. I couldn't get anywhere. Because what I wanted to do is I wanted to tell you all of this stuff that I learned at this conference. Well, it took me six days to learn this stuff. And I've got 30 minutes and I'm wanting to just give you all of the wealth of my knowledge that I have learned in six days and 30 minutes. And that was all clogged up. Plus the fact that I am starting a new sermon series. And I know you hate to hear that word, series. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm going to do what we're going to do. Started at Matthew chapter 5. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I want to go all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. We've done the Beatitudes already. I'm not going to do it over again. I'm going to start with where we started, verse 13. We're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to do through, go through it differently than I've ever seen it gone through before, God willing. Because everybody goes through these. They go through the Ten Commandments. They go through the Sermon on the Mount. And they position it as, this is what you need to do. If you do this, you will be a good person. Let me help you understand something. I have already sinned today. I have. I would tell you what it is. But if I did, you would go, and you're liable to leave. I don't want you to leave yet. I want you to hang on. And I know that you've already sinned today. So why am I going to tell you, work hard on this stuff? Why am I going to add, add that to your back? That's not where I want to do. What I want to do in the, going, through the, going through the Sermon on the Mount is I want, let this sound so holy. Oh, y'all just get ready to be, oh, sounds so holy. I want to look for Jesus in this. That's what I want to do. I want to look for Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount so that when I see Jesus and see how he operates and understand what he's done for me, then maybe I'll try to be like him just a little bit more. Maybe he'll rub off on me. And I got a sneaking suspicion that while I do that, since he lives in me and is a part of me, that it will come out of me and I will be like Jesus and I will know I'm being like Jesus because I know who he looks like and now I've got something to compare it with. That's where I want to go. And see, I felt no release. I'm sitting there looking in front of the computer. I feel no release from that either. And I go, how do these things fit together? This is craziness. 
How does it work? And then I stumbled across, stumbled across, because it's a coincidence, right? I stumbled across a three-letter word. It is in verse 16, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Did anybody figure out what is the fifth word, if you're in the English Standard Version, in that sentence? Did anybody figure out what word it was that I was going to go after? It's the word let. Let. Three-letter word, let. Not make your light shine. Not cause your light to shine. Not find a way to be a shining light. What the scripture says here is let your light shine. Now let is a verb and when it's used with an object, which it is here, let your light. Your light is the object. I think I got that right, you English teachers. Light being the object. Let means to permit or allow. This means something. Y'all got to hang in here with me. We got to think this morning. It means to permit it or allow it. It is passive. It's passive. It doesn't mean that you make it happen. It means that you allow it to occur. So this doesn't mean that you plan your good works so that people will see it and give glory to God. This means that you simply do whatever it is that God's calling you to do, that you feel like you really need to do this thing. You just go ahead and do this thing, and then you let, you permit that activity to be seen so that God is glorified. Now, I'm not sure if you hear this or not, but for me, this takes an incredible amount of stress away from me because I don't have to make anything happen. It is not my responsibility. I merely follow Christ in me and do what he said, and then I let people see it. I don't try to hide it. I don't try to stop it. I don't try to do it in secret. I let people see it, and they will understand that this is from God. But right now, what I need you to realize whole lot of stuff surrounding all this that we could argue about for years I want you to see one point the action in this verse is passive you do not do it it happens you allow it to occur let's talk about being saved <clears throat> let's talk about being saved for a second go ahead and turn to Revelation 3:20. now we talk about things in words that we understand so we talk about when we're saved, we say that I invited Jesus to come into my heart like I did something. I'll say something along the lines of, um, where's it at? There we go. I'll say something along the lines of I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Nothing wrong with saying those things, but I want us to understand what actually happens at salvation. What actually occurs, all right? I want you to hang in there with me. Now, before we do that, I've got three questions I want to ask you, and I want you to do something that I don't do in church. See, when preachers ask me to repeat after them, I don't repeat after them. And when preachers say, raise your hand, I don't raise my hand. That's ridiculous. I don't do that stuff. I need you to talk back to me this morning. I want you to answer these questions, answer it out loud, because the Bible says, say it in, if we believe in our heart and confess him with our mouth, okay, there's something about saying something out loud that makes it more real than just thinking about it. I want you to hear yourself saying this word 
agreeing with these statements so it sinks in a little bit deeper, okay? There's a method to the madness here. Three questions. Number one, there's a method to the madness. Just ride the horse with me, okay? Question number one, is the Bible the Word of God? Very good. I thought I was going to have to coach you. Number two, do you believe the truths of the Bible apply to our everyday lives? All right, now it gets hard. Do you believe the truths of the Bible apply to you personally just as they are written? Realize what you just answered. Do you, do you believe the truths of the Bible apply to you personally just as they are written? Yes, I do. If I believe it, then when I read it, i got to know it's true. Hold that in your head. Here we go. Revelation 3.20. And I was smart. For those of you who can't flip through your Bible real quick, post-it notes. 3.20. Behold, Jesus is speaking. It's written in red if you've got one of those fancy Bibles. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. No matter where you were, no matter what happened, no matter how you came to Jesus, no matter how you were saved, this is what happened to you. You can say that you were on death's door and that you cried out to God, save me. You can say that you were addicted to everything in the world and you cried out to God, save me. You could be a six-year-old child in Sunday school. The same thing happened to every last one of us. Jesus was knocking at the door and all you did was open it. Passive activity. He's knocking and you just open the door. No, Randy, I opened the door. That's right. But if he hadn't been knocking, you would open the door and there wouldn't, be anybody, there wouldn't have been anybody standing there. He came after you. He came after you. You did not come for him. I want some of you to hear that. And I want you to understand what that means. That's got to make you feel better. He accepted you. He loved you while you were sitting there thinking that you were ugly, thinking that you were horrible, that you were undesirable, that you were a misfit, that you were a reject, that nobody loved you while you felt wretched. He was knocking on the door not to just come in. He knocked on the door to marry you. Let me help you understand something. I don't marry ugly. Joseph, you going to marry ugly? Not if you can help it. Now we might look at her and say, Joseph's going to look at her and go, whoa. Jesus don't marry ugly. See, when he looked at you and you're sitting there thinking how horrible you are and how wretched you are and how wrong you are and how bad you are, he knocked on the door to make you the bride of Christ. I'm telling you, that makes you special there. That makes you special. 
you got to let that sink in just a little bit. You are special. Turn with me to Romans 5, verse, uh, Romans 5, 19. We're all over the place. We've got a thread. We're following it. Passive. You did not save yourself. You did not cry out to him and cause him to do anything. He knocked on the door to get his bride. That's what happened. It was a passive thing. Now you're in 519. 519 says, right here, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The one man he's talking about here is Jesus. The one man is Jesus. And by this man, by Jesus' by Jesus' work, by Jesus' obedience, many will be made righteous. It's passive again. It is passive again. When we were saved, we were made righteous. You know the drill. If you're a Christian, all of our sins were crucified with Christ on the cross. We are wrapped in Christ's righteousness. We no longer owe God a penalty for our sins. That was taken care of. The judgment is gone. It's gone forever. It can't be rescinded. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Once you've been saved, you are always saved by him. He sees you as beautiful forever. He makes you righteous forever. You can do anything you want to that's wrong. You can backslide. You can do horrible horrible things and he still looks at you and says I love you let's get you back home again that's what he does passive you are not doing this he does this turn one more scripture to me 2nd Corinthians 3 16 through 18 is he gonna read the whole Bible this morning no I'm not gonna read Micah and Habakkuk because I can't find them Second Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. Now listen, I know there's a lot of theology in all of this stuff that we could be talking about here, and we'll do it one of these days, but today that's not the point. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed formed into the same image from one degree of glory to, a, to another for this comes from the Lord who is, spirit, is, who is spirit. This is what drove me to the conference. We are saved, we are made righteous, all passive actions on our part. We think that something ought to change. It ought to change drastically when we save, are saved and for most of us it doesn't. Let's just be frank and be honest right now. If you get saved, the vast majority of the people that get saved do not go, boom, I'm an addict and I'm not. I was a drunkard and I'm not. I was a prostitute and I'm not. That happens for some people. We love to publicize that. We love to put that on billboards and say, look at all the wonderful things that God did. And it makes us all feel guilty because the majority of us, when we were saved, we lean back after a week and it's sort of, okay, 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 where's the, help me. That's what we do, the most of us. Now, you may be disagreeing with me this morning, but if you'll sit back and think about it, you're going to go, well, I don't know, the boy might be right here. 
We couch things in all kinds of religious language to make ourselves sound like it happened. But really, we just, we're just the same old folks. But we have a redeemed spirit because, see, it's passive. It happened to us. Something happened. In those three verses, I want, to hear, I want you to hear that phrase, are being redeemed, are being transformed, rather. Being transformed, it is passive. I am being transformed. When we are saved, we become a part of a process that leads us to be who God wants us to be. You agreed earlier that the truth of God applied to you personally. This scripture applies to you personally. And this scripture says that you are being transformed. A little bit along, but he's going to get you somewhere. For some of us, it happens real quickly, but not for most of us. But it's a promise. The Bible, the Word of God, is, it's true for everyday lives. It's true for me personally. So for you personally, you are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, so it sounds like we get better and better, more godly and more godly, a little bit at a time, into the same image. And what is that image? It's what I want to see in, in, the, in, 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 the, uh, uh, in the, you can do this, Sermon on the Mount, into the image of Jesus. That's where he wants us to get us to. And it's a passive process by which God transforms my life to be more and more like Jesus. So far, I have done nothing. And that's hard for us because we've got to get involved and we've got to do something. So far, we've done nothing. We have done nothing except open the door when he knocked on it. He entered into my spirit. He is transforming me bit by bit, slowly but surely. He's going to get me somewhere, but now there is something we need to do to go to the next step. And this one we have to do. This is a do. This is the only do. This is the do. Are you ready? Turn with me the last time you're going to turn somewhere to Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I love to hear the pages turning. That is sweet. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is so familiar to us that we can read it and we blow right by it without really thinking about it. I've had this preached at me at least a billion times, maybe a billion and a half in my lifetime. I've preached it a couple of times. Do you hear the verb in this one? It is not passive, it is active. It says that you are, I am, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And we've heard it so many times, I can say that, and we look like little Chipper Jones bobbleheads, and we are, yep, yep, that's right, I've got I to present my body as a living sacrifice. And we don't no more know what we mean than the man and moon. We've just heard it said so many times, we think we've got to agree to it. Yep, I've got to present my body as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means you turn to God and you say, now listen to me, if you've, if, if, you know, think whatever you think. It is three minutes away according to my watch from 11.30. You will not get out at 11.30. It will be a few minutes after that. Just hang on. I need you to listen. I want you to understand 
this. These words are pain inflicting. These words are a challenge. And I pray that the Holy Spirit uses these words to cause you to stop and think. Presenting your body means you're presenting your being, you are presenting you, you are presenting who you are as a living sacrifice. What that means is that you're saying to God, now listen to me, you are saying to God, I give you permission to do anything you wish to me. You can do whatever you want to to me. I don't care. You can do anything you want to my family. You can do anything you want in me. You can do anything you want with me. You can do anything you want through me. Now, unless you are absolutely dead to the Spirit, you've got to understand that that's dangerous, boys and girls. That's dangerous. I'm telling the Almighty God that I am ready to accept anything that He chooses to dish out to me. And I might complain when He does it, and I might bellyache when when He does it, but I will accept it because I want to be like him no matter the cost. Now, let's make this even more personal. Get ready, get ready, uh, Haley, here we go. When I'm presenting my body as a living sacrifice to God, what exactly does that cover? Put the slide up for me if you would. Oh, you can't read it. I was afraid of that. So here we go. Maybe you can. Oh, it's better there. Yeah. I wanted to make this just as personal as I could possibly make it. This is what you're saying. You're saying to God that I give you permission to do anything you want to do with my will, my mind, and my emotions. Now, guys, the emotional part of this thing Most of us pretend like we don't have them, so we'll pretend now we don't. Women have emotions. Ladies, you're saying right here that, God, whatever you want to do with my emotions, you do with it. If you want to make me cry somewhere, then I'll cry. If you want to make me laugh somewhere, then I'll laugh. Gentlemen, it means that if, if, well, let's just keep going. You can do anything you want to with my body. If you need me to have a heart attack and go to the hospital so that you'll be glorified in that hospital, bring it on. Got the guts to say that? That's what you're saying. Do anything with the body you want to. Whatever you want. My future plans, my hopes, and my dreams. This is even worse for the young people because you've got this idea that you're going to be these great things and you're telling God right here that, you know what? This is what I want, Father, but if you want me to be a missionary in Ethiopia swatting flies off of dying children's face, then that's where I'll go and that's what I'll do. Or maybe you want me to stay here and do something. My home, some of y'all got some fine houses, 
One of y'all, well, no, you don't because they moved to another church some years back. One of our former church members had a house that caused me to covet. And that ain't a lie. I went over to their house for a party and I came home and I told Renee that that was the most beautiful house I'd ever been in in my life. And I struggled for a while and I had to repent of the sin because I wanted their house. Randy, you should admit stuff like that. Why not? You do it. We all do it. Lord, whatever you want with my home, if you want me to live in this big old house, if you cause me to lose my job and lose this big old house and you want me to live in one of those tiny things they do on the, on the home and garden network, then I'll live in that little tiny house with my, five, with my 12 kids. Lord, whatever you want to do with my marriage. I don't live in the best marriage in the world. I do. I don't live, I'm, this is not what if. I don't have the best marriage in the, Lord, in the world, Lord, whatever you want me to do. And Father, if you want me to realize that I'm the problem, then I will. I give you my mate, Lord. I give you my children. Father, if you're going to take one of my children home, I don't want you to do that. But if that's what you're going to do for your glory, then take them home. Easy to say. My geographic location, you might want me to move. I'm going to leave gray when I graduate. And Lord of mercy, here you end up. My recreation, my entertainment, my career, my past successes and failures. You know what? I played mean game of softball. Uh-huh, I did. You know what that means? That means I played a mean game of softball. That's all. I had nothing to brag about anymore. My habits, my finances, let me tell you something. I have said this out loud in this church. I did not like being poor. I never want to be poor again. I did not like it that my wife went, and some of y'all have done that, and some of you may still do it, went to the grocery store with a calculator knowing that she could spend $80. And Renee would, as she walked through the grocery store, she would plunk in everything she bought. And when she got to $80, she had to make a decision. Do I have everything I need or do I need to put some of this back and put something else in the buggy? Because when she got to the checkout, checkout line, it had to be $80. There was no more money to have. That bites. And I'm telling God right now, that <laughs> if you want Renee to do that, you can. <laughs> that you can have my money, Lord. You have my finances. You have my problems. You have my time. You can do whatever you want to with my integrity. I've got a DA up here, an assistant DA that goes to our church. His integrity is probably one of the most important things he can have. People have to look at him and have to know they can trust him. And I'm not saying when I'm going to give you my integrity that I'm going to do something wrong. But what I'm saying is that, Lord, if you want people to slander me for your glory, then you can slander me if you're going to be glorified. My attitudes, 
My business conduct and relationships, maybe you've got a little shady thing going on. My Christian walk, my response to authority, my right to my possessions. I don't know how many of you got boats. I like mine, but you know what? Right to be a, a good or good reputation or right to have acceptance. If you want me to run by myself, I'll run by myself. If you want everybody in the church not to like me, that's okay. We'll live through that. My right to be successful. My right to have pleasant circumstances. My right to presume on the will of God. My right to life itself. Lord, if you want to kill me, I'll come home. My right to beauty or strength. My right to have friendships. My right to be heard. My right to take up offenses. My right to avoid reaping what I sow. My right to be right. My right to see results. My right to a pity party. Fill in the list. I didn't get them all. And what we're saying when we present our lives as living sacrifices is I'm saying, Lord, I give you permission to do anything you wish to me, with me, in me, or through me. I claim these things as I claim these once, I claim these things once as mine. Now they are all yours. They belong to you. They are under your control. You can do with them anything that you please. I want to follow you. And I'll take whatever you dish out. And you've got to do that one. What you've got to do is you've got to die. You've got to die. You've got to get out of the way. Now listen, I am not offering you magic this morning, and this is not religious hocus-pocus. You are being transformed. This is a step in your transformation. This is where it starts. And I know that some of you are wishing that I would hush so you could go get some chicken wings, and I know that some of you are sitting there saying that this is what I'm supposed to do because the Holy Spirit's pounding on you, and some of you are sitting there going, this is craziness, I don't know what to do with this. And that's all fine, every last one of them is good. I want you to know that's all. I want you to know. God himself knows what he's going to require of you to show his glory. And to take you from glory to glory. And there is every possibility that some of it is going to take you through some very dark places. We all love the 23rd Psalm. And we quote, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not where I want to be. But that's where he leads me. And that's where he shows me that he is with me. It's where he does his best work. I'm asking you to do something here. The Father is asking you to die to everything you hold precious. That you give it up. You give yourself up. You place it into his hands. That you die to yourself. And then trust him to act with exquisite love on your behalf.
Right now, I'm certain that he's knocking on a few doors, inviting you to be saved. If you're not a Christian, he's knocking on your door. How do you know? Because you're here. That's how I know. You are here. And he's knocking on your door and he's saying, listen, open the door and let me in. I will change your life. I may change it fast. I may change it slow. But I will change your life. I'll make you holy and accepted before God. I will make you my bride. I need you to trust me to do that. Open the door. And if you'll open the door, he will come in. Randy, I don't know. I I don't feel it. That's okay. Feelings will catch up. Trust what he says he will do. And for many, many more, he is asking, will you surrender everything you hold precious into his hands, trusting him to give you the rest that you so desperately crave? Father, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to deliver this message. You know, I didn't want to last night. I didn't want to this morning. I want to now. Father, I don't know if you're moving in somebody's heart right this minute or if you're going to do it later, but I know that we planted the seed, and I know now that it's the Holy Spirit's job because he is the teacher to teach us the truth of what we have heard. I ask for conviction from the Holy Spirit, Lord. We didn't read the second verse of of Hebrews. We didn't look at that, but that's the part that says that if we'll sacrifice ourselves, then we will know your will. And that's what we want. We really do want to be your people. And now we know how to do it. Thank you for your salvation. Now move in our hearts. Through Christ's name, in Christ's name we pray, amen.